0: father that we would be diligent to seek you with our whole heart father your word declares that if we seek you we will find you if we seek you with our whole heart I thank you father that your word declares as we have read many times father that you know the plans that you have for us plans to prosper us and not to harm us plans to give us a hope and a future and father I pray that today God that we father lord would trust you with our future God, that if we are in Christ, if we are Your children, Father, then we know, Father. God, that we are secure in Christ, no matter how the world is going, no matter what circumstances all around us are around us. I pray, God, that we would remain upright, confident in Christ and in Christ alone. Oh, Father, I thank You for this, Lord. Now, Father, may we not be distracted, Lord, but may we remain focused and may our eyes be fixed upon Christ as we open up your word, bring revelation and understanding and application, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. First, I mean, yeah, First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it is living by God's power. Have we experienced that this week? Have you experienced the power of God in your life to overcome temptation, to to overcome sin, to to overcome the world, (laughs) to be able to remain upright, that your faith isn't just a lot of talk, that we're just not being hearers of the word, but that we're being doers of the word. I keep encouraging us to have an understanding that as the days are drawing closer to his return, and no one knows when that day is, but we know the signs of the times because Jesus is very clear on what to look at. And when you see this, these things happening, know that his return is near. So we as the church should be preparing We're not to live in fear, we're not to live in confusion, we're not to live in chaos. No, we're to be abiding in Christ, because as you keep hearing and as you're studying the Word, especially in the New Testament, you're going to see that a Christian's position is in Christ. You have relinquished your rights, you have laid your life down, you have accepted Him as your Lord and your Savior. And I've been praying for us, and I keep encouraging us to truly understand your confession and your belief. If you're saying you're a Christian, you're believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You're confessing that He rose from the dead. And that can't just be taken lightly. That just, those just can't be statements that you're just saying because, oh, that sounds good to say. No, that's your belief. This is what you're confessing. To have the full understanding that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the son of God and he came to accomplish the will of God through his death and through his resurrection. That he has defeated sin and death. That there is victory found in Christ and Christ alone there's no other religion out there that can offer what Christianity offers and yet Christianity is the most rejected and that just goes to show you that the enemy is working that the world is working and the very flesh is working to keep people enslaved and rebellious towards a loving God towards a loving God and I keep bringing this back before us because I'm praying that we truly grasp it like we don't want to be the people who have their fist up to God and saying no you're not God no we're to be a people who are submitted to him like we our eyes have been opened God was pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. So we are not to be living in rebellion towards him. And I know it's shocking to hear this, but it needs to be heard in the churches today that if you're living in active sin, you're not a Christian. And I know that's how people want to preach it today, that everyone is saved, that everyone is going to heaven, but that's not the truth. If, you, if sin is mastering your life, and you're living actively in sin, rather you're sitting in church, rather you're talking about Jesus, rather you're doing all the religious works, if sin is your master, you're not saved. Sin is not to be our master. Sin has been defeated. We are now enslaved. We, what Righteousness now is our master. Christ is our master. He is whom we are serving. Doesn't mean you won't sin. But when you do, you won't remain in it. You not remain in it. You can't remain in it. By remaining in it, you're rebelling towards God. And Christians don't rebel towards God. They submit to Him. So when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit... Like, you need to deal with it right then and there. Because as we were praying earlier, it is God's love. It it is God's kindness that brings us to repentance. He doesn't stiff on us. He doesn't go, oh, there you go again. Oh, look, you're so bad. No, he knows our nature. He knows us intimately. And when we fall, he's quick to convict and pick us right back up. To keep us moving forward. That's why sin is not to be our master. The church isn't to be tainted by sin. And as we talked about it last week, and as I was encouraging, we need to hate sin as much as God hates it. We need to be disgusted by it. Like it separates people. It destroys people. We're just not to coddle people in it. We're just not to pat people on their back. We're not to water down the gospel to make it easier for them. No. Like we understand the weight of it. We understand what Christ came to do and and, and all that he accomplished. And we also understand that the wrath of God is stored up to be released because of sin so why would we want to partake in the very activity that is stored up that his wrath is stored up to ultimately consume we don't want to be objects of his wrath not when we have been granted such knowledge of his love of his love And so we must not be a people that just do a lot of talk. We must be a people who are living by the power of God. And we must be a people that understand that Christianity is only going to get harder to live. To live out your faith is only going to get harder. Christianity was never meant to to ever arrive at a place in this world where it will be accepted. In fact, it'll only get harder. I mean, even from the birth of the church, we have this understanding. Look what the apostles, the disciples had to endure. I mean, they were martyred for their faith. They were beaten. They were left for dead. They were told not to preach in Jesus' name. And they said, no, we have to. They were trying to be silenced. They were constantly being bombarded. Christ is not welcomed in this fallen world, you all. He himself knew that when he came, what his purpose would be the cross. And so we can't conjure up this weird form of Christianity that fits our agenda. No, we have to understand whom we are serving. And I've always said to you, in in, in and of ourselves, it doesn't make sense. In and of ourselves, I'm giving myself away for me ultimately to end up to die and to be hated. The world is not going to accept you. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. These are Jesus' words. They're going to drag you out, and they're going to kill you, and they're going to think they're doing the will of God. I don't know about you, but do you see how people are responding to true faith? It's the most craziest thing. Some of the threads that I read, how people are attacking people who post things that are true. You just turn on the news, and you hear... Like how faith, how the Christian faith is being bombarded and uplifted as, it, as it's some type of, of hate speech. And it's only going to get worse. And that's why I come every Sunday and I try to stand before you to encourage you to stand, to live out your faith. That we cannot just continue just to sit idly by and just be people who talk a good talk. No, we have to be people who live it. Who have you offended this week just by your faith? Because you ought to be offending people. Now that doesn't make sense. But you're intentionally out to offend them. You just living the right way offends people. You just following Christ is going to offend people. Truth offends people. The gospel offends people. If your life and the Jesus in whom you're talking about and the gospel in which you are trying to uphold is not offending people, then something's wrong because it ought to offend those who are not in Christ as it should have offended you at some point. Jesus tells us. And not only that, from Genesis to Revelation, I keep keep telling you all this, there's no way mankind or some council or a group of men or women could have gotten together and put all this together to fit so perfectly to tell an incredible story of redemption, of love. There's no way. This is God's word, his living word. And those who accept it, those who accept him, those who believe and confess. Again, understand when you're saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, like that alone, that statement alone should really make us draw back when the opportunity to sin is before us. Because why am I giving myself to the very thing that has been defeated by my Savior? The one whom I say is the Son of God who has rose from the dead and has defeated it. You see, remember what the Bible says. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. It's a process of renewing the mind daily moment by moment, hour by hour, second by second. That is not the way I'm to think because that is not the truth in which I'm confessing and believing. And I keep asking yourself, are you talking to yourself this way? Are you encouraging yourself this way? No, I'm not going that way anymore. No, I'm not gonna hang out with these people anymore. No, I'm not going to do this anymore. No, I'm not going to think this anymore. Because these are, these are things that aren't pleasing to the very one in whom I am saying is the Son of God and has rose from the dead. Who is victorious. Who has opened my eyes to see, not just of the natural realm around me, but the eternal, the spiritual understanding and insight that I have received as a Christian. And that I'm growing in that I'm desiring to grow in because he's given this to me. He's begun this work in me. He is faithful to complete it. He says in his word that he will not neglect the works of his hands. And we are the works of his hands. We can rise up every day and go through our day with the assurance that God is for us, he is not against us. If we're in Christ, if we're not in Christ, you can claim that promise all day long. But God is against you <laughs> you can be a talker all day long and, 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 and God is not for you Like we must understand this because it's getting it's getting blurry in our culture everyone is everyone is saved everyone's a Christian just believe whatever you want and just slap Jesus on your life and you're okay That is not the biblical understanding of a Christian. Jesus himself says, don't think I came to bring peace to the world. (laughs) No, I've come to divide. You're either for him or you're against him. There's no in-between. I know we want there to be an in-between because it's easier for us. But Jesus says, no, there's no other way. Except through me. And when we're in Christ, we can have the assurance. We can have the confidence that God is for us and not against us. I keep telling you one of the tragic things I think of are people who will die. And end up in in hell for an eternity with Jesus on their lips. But never in their heart. They could talk the good talk. But that they're not in a relationship with him. They don't know him. And for eternity to be tormented, <laughs> to be tormented for eternity. Because we chose to continue to go our way instead of truly believing. See, when when it is our belief. And it truly as our confession. We are saved. We, have the, we are given the Holy Spirit. To teach us, to guide us. And as we can see, there's a great falling away taking place. I mean, solid Christian leaders. For years are turning away from the faith regular individual just lay people Christians in the church they're walking away they're not in fellowship anymore they're just holding a form of religion they're just turning and going their way and everyone has an excuse but all oh, let that not be said of us of us To Christ should be our all in all. Like I keep sharing with you throughout the years that that one article I read with with the man who did the survey and he said that it was like 90 some odd percent of people sitting in churches aren't saved. I go, wow, they're just superstitious. And how sad to have a desire to know God and yet not know him. To to come and among the fellowship and not really be part of the fellowship. To, to to deceive our own selves that we are right with God and yet all along be so far away from him. Like these are the dangers for the human soul. To have a form of religion and yet deny his power. He transforms us, he renews us. He completes us. He makes us whole. We don't live as broken people anymore. And you say, but there's still a lot of brokenness in me. Well, then continually get up every day and seek him. To be healed, to be restored in those areas of your life. Remember, we're not perfected until we are with him. But in that knowledge of that, that doesn't give us the right to allow sin to master us. No, we see it within us, and so we give it to Him. We repent, we confess, we get up, we move forward. Are you moving forward? And I love that's the picture that we see as we're reading through the Old Testament. He's moving them forward. He's bringing them in to the promised land. And as they're moving forward... He's maturing them. He's growing them. He's giving them an understanding of who he is and how they are to live as his people. Let's not take it lightly as we're reading through because these are lessons for us from the beginning till the end. God is looking for people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God, that they will live for him, that they will abide with him that they would obey him. And I know it's 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 popular to kind of dismiss the Old Testament and just focus on the New Testament as if somehow Jesus changed God's mind or Jesus lowers the expectations Or that because of Jesus, it's easier just to live, flip it however you want. No, remember, God's wrath is still coming. It's being stored up. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. Jesus came to be our final, the final sacrifice To fulfill the law, not to do away with it, but to fulfill it. And it's only through him that now we are at peace with God. It's only through Christ, Jesus, now you're at peace with God. It's not by your works, it's not by anything of yourselves, but it's all because of Jesus. And that is why we put our faith and our hope and our confession in Christ. That's why we are to learn of him daily, to walk with him daily, to abide in him. You should be bearing witness to him, his his character, his nature to others. That is your purpose now. Your purpose is not to live for yourself. People have a right to live however they want. And as we've seen, God is reminding his people listen, all these other nations live this way. Homosexuality, all these issues that that our generation is being challenged by, there's nothing new. It's nothing new. From the beginning, it was there because of sin. As soon as sin entered into the world, everything was there. And so God himself is, remember, as we're reading through Leviticus, he's telling them, no, these these are how the other nations live. This is what the other nations do. But you are not to do it. This is how you live. Remember, he's moving them forward. He's moving them on. Because ultimately, through them, the Messiah, Jesus, is to come. But right now, He's setting up and giving insight to how we are to be living. So go to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. And then we're going to read through chapter 22, verse 16. So Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22, through chapter 22, verse 16. You must keep all my decrees and regulations by putting them into practice. Otherwise, the land to which I am bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. And that's not just read past our opening scripture today in Leviticus without stopping. And this is what I'm hoping that you're doing as you're reading through scripture, that you're just not reading it. And just like rushing through it. Know that you're taking the time to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, to give you insight, to give you understanding, to give you revelation, and, 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 and the knowledge to how to apply it. You should be asking every time you open up the Word. You should Don't take it as if it's just another book. No, it's the living Word. And the only way that you're going to have understanding is through the Holy Spirit. So hopefully you're praying and asking the Holy Spirit every time you open the Word of God or think upon the Word of God for insight and understanding and revelation. I mean, look at just alone this first verse. It says so much. This is God speaking. You must keep all of my decrees and regulations, look at this, by putting them into practice. Not just by hearing them, but by doing them. Obedience. We are called to obey. Even Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It looks, it looks odd. It looks weird. To yoke yourself, to, to bind yourself to Christ and then live in re- total rebellion towards him. It doesn't make any sense. These people, don't forget, have experienced God. There's no doubt in their heart and mind that he is God. They have seen him do miraculous things for them god has raised up moses to speak to them on behalf of him and yet and yet they're still told put it into practice and just as they're told we're told Like We can go around the room and each of you can give testimony of how, yes, I knew that God did this or or God moved in this way in my life or or God this or God that. You can give testimony of times and seasons in your life that you're testifying about Him. But the real question is not your testimony because anyone could have a testimony. The real question is your obedience. That follows the testimony. Anyone can get up and talk a good talk. Well, God blessed me today. Hallelujah. And then I'll go right back and live in an active sin. Oh, how dangerous and how foolish. You know him, you know what he's done for you, and yet you're denying him by the way you live. Even from the beginning, God is dealing with the issue of the heart. You must keep all my decrees, not the ones that you like, not the ones that make sense to you, but all of them, even those that are uncomfortable. You must keep them and put them into practice. Otherwise, the land to which I'm bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. And we read that couple times in our last reading that the land vomits the people out the land turns against the inhabitants look what sin does it just doesn't affect you it affects all those around you and even the land in which you occupy listen this earth is spinning on a collision course with his wrath and yes we should care about our environment and take care of it and be good stewards of it but if you really want to be an environmentalist be a Christian because when people live right the land is settled it's not in turmoil but people would never humanity will never live right on this earth. Sin is running amok. It's a fallen world. And yet, God has his church in the world to bear his image until the day that he returns. So there's a way in which we are to live, and in that God will bless his people. Do not live according to the custom of the people. Look at this. I'm driving out before you. It is because they do these shameful things that I detest them. But I have promised you, you will possess the land because I will give it to you as your possession. A land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God. And here again we see that statement. Who has set you apart from all other people. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from all other people. As he did then, so he says that to us today. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from the other people. You are, you are a set-apart individual. We are a set-apart community. We are not to look like the world, act like the world. No, we are to look and to act like the world believers in Christ we cannot be those who defame his name we must be able to stand in the assurance that he is God and God alone and that's why I keep reminding us that scripture tells us remember the scripture doesn't tell us not to have anything to do with the world we're to live among them not to be like them how can they know there's a way of hope if we're not among them No, the ones that we are to be careful with and the ones actually says that the word says that we're not to have anything to do with are those who say that they're Christians and don't live like one. Oh, but they're my friend, they're this or they're that. No, no, you're doing an injustice to them. The word says don't have anything to do with them. Don't even eat with someone who calls himself a Christian has an anger problem. But where is that taught? Who's really keeping to that? We ought to be. Oh, that doesn't seem loving. Oh, that is loving. That's the true essence of love. This allows someone unto to, to have the 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 the, the, the insight. That they're separated, not from us, but from God. To give them the opportunity to turn back to God. That is our role as the church, all through the New Testament. We're to be calling people back to God. It's like the other night when I was reading out of Jude. There's a way in which we're called to live. This Christian life isn't an easy life. It shouldn't be sold and peddled as it is. It's not easy. But it's so worth it. <laughs> because we know ultimately whom we belong to and where we're going. And we ought to love people enough to say, yeah, no, you have every right to continue to live however you want. But if you're going to call yourself a Christian, I'm sorry. I can no longer be a part of that. You're making his blood too common. And I don't want you to keep splashing it up on me. Because the way they influence people is they start making others lukewarm. All of a sudden, everything that they're doing is okay to be done. And then we just start justifying it or excusing it. And it defames the name of our God. The world does it. They're lost. They're lost. But even those who hold a form of Christianity and live like the world, they're lost. They don't think they're lost, but they're giving God a bad name. At least the world is not giving God a bad name. They don't believe They may curse God, they may say whatever to God, but they're not claiming to be His and living like themselves. That's why it's dangerous to call yourself a Christian and not live like a Christian. To call yourself a Christian and put a front on in front of everyone else, but when you're alone, (laughs) you're thinking and doing things you ought not to be doing. Oh, the wolves are among us. The church is infested with people who hold a form of religion and deny the power of God. And that's why the church ought to be dealing with sin. Remember I told you when Paul told the church in Corinth to set that man out, turn him over to Satan in hopes that his soul will be saved. See, you have to love people enough to turn them over. in hopes that their soul will be saved that's love you all not just going along with them i'm praying for them oh i'm praying for them no but to be bold with your witness towards them i'm sorry you're defaming christ and you're getting more and more comfortable to do it around me something's wrong something's wrong and i'm not going to be influenced any longer by this You need to come to Christ. You need to repent. When's the last time you've talked to yourself that way and to others who say they're Christians? Oh, well, no, I just don't like to confront. What do you mean you have to confront? Who else is going to say anything to them? Well, it gets uncomfortable. And? When was Christianity ever called to be comfortable? You're not being rude, you're not being being slanderous, you're just being honest. And they say, well, you can't judge me. Oh, yes, I have every right, if you're saying you're in the church, to judge you. We don't judge the world. The world's already standing in judgment. But if someone is calling themselves a Christian, oh, yes, indeed, we have every right to judge them. But remember what the Word of God says. Deal with the plank in your own eye before you start dealing with the little speck in someone else's eye. Deal with the issues that are going on in your life so that when you do approach someone to hold them accountable, they're not going to look at you and then begin to give you a list of things in your life. See, that's why we have to be growing up. That's why we have to be moving on and moving forward. We're not just staying enslaved to sin. The the problem is, and I've told you all this, the problem why we don't bear witness, the problem why we don't hold each other accountable, the problem with the church is that the church isn't dealing with her own sin, her own self as individuals. What hinders us is, well, my life isn't really all together. And that's, that's the cop-out. That's the most craziest thing to ever say. Because then you just made your Christian life about you. And your Christian life is about Jesus. I'm not perfect until I'm with him. But by God, I'm not going to remain the same. There, has, there should be growth in your life. You should be able to say, I once was, but now I am. <laughs> I once was, but now I am today. Like, I'm growing, I'm maturing, I'm forsaking things, I'm forsaking others, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting away that, the sin in my life through the power of God, not through my own, because then of myself, I would stay there. But in Christ? Like, have you come to a place in your heart that, you're, that you've just accepted the fact that you're going to die for the gospel? that you're going to be hated for the gospel. Cuz if you have it, you better get there. Cuz it's coming to a city and a and a state and a zip code near you. God is telling his people, I have set you apart I am the Lord, your God. You must therefore, verse 25, make a distinction between ceremonially clean and unclean animals and between clean and unclean birds. You must not defile yourselves by eating in any unclean animal or bird or creature that scurries along the ground. I have identified them as being unclean for you. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people, look at this, to be my very own. Men and women among you who act as mediums or who consult the spirits of the dead must be put to death by stoning. They are guilty of a capital offense. Now, in the New Testament, God frees up the law that was on his people when it came to food. God, and I, as I said last week, we're on out, we're not stoning and killing people any longer. <laughs> Back then they had to. But remember, Christ took the punishment. Now we're offering hope to those who are bound by the occult to turn to Jesus and not face the wrath of God. Turn to Jesus and not face the wrath of God. And I told you how sad that the occult has, is influencing the church. Christians are turning to supernatural things and being drawn in by it. Through psychics, through horoscopes, through this and through that. So consumed with it. And how could we be? How could we be mastered by that when we see all throughout God's word have nothing to do with it? God didn't change his mind on spiritualism, on the occult. Because the occult itself was not made by God. It is the enemy who seeks to devour and defame God. It goes on here, The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the priests, the descendants of Aaron. A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean by touching the dead body of a relative. The only exceptions are his closest relatives, his mother or father, son or daughter, brother, or his virgin sister, who depends on him because she has no husband but a priest must not defile himself and make himself unclean for someone who is related to him only by marriage the priest must not shave their heads or trim their beards or cut body their bodies they must be set apart as holy to their god and must never bring shame look at this on the name of god they must be holy for they are the ones who present the special gifts to the lord gifts of food for their God. The priests are set apart at a higher standard. And guess what? That's the Old Testament. And I know what we like to do in the New Testament is to look at others as being set apart. Now granted, teachers, pastors, teaching the Word, are held at a standard because they're leading God's people. But collectively, though, all of us are called priests. We are part of the royal priesthood, the Bible says. There is a way in which we are to be living and to honoring God. And there also is an understanding that if you are called as a pastor, as a teacher, to proclaim God's truth, well, you're set up as a higher standard. And so we must be very clear and have this understanding that no matter what our position is in Christ, we're all priests. We're all part of the priesthood. We are set apart for the purpose of God. And we are to be holy. Remember what that word means, holy, set apart. We're to act differently. We're to live differently. We're not among every, all the chaos and all the confusion and all the sin that's running amok no we're set apart for the service of the lord priests may not marry a woman defiled by prostitution and they may not marry a woman who is divorced from her husband for the priests are set apart as holy to their god you must treat them as holy because they offer up food to your god you must consider them holy because i the lord am holy and i make you holy If a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she also defiles her father's holiness, and she must be burned to death. The high priest has the highest rank of all the priests. The anointing oil has been poured on his head, and he has been ordained to wear the priestly garments. He must never leave his hair uncombed or tear his clothing. He must not defile himself by going near a dead body. He may not make himself ceremonially unclean even for his father or mother. He must not defile the sanctuary of his God by leaving it to attend to a dead person. For he has been made holy by the anointing oil of his God, I am the Lord. The high priest may marry only a virgin. He may not marry a widow, a woman who is divorced, or a woman who has defiled herself by prostitution. She must be a virgin from his own clan, so that he will not dishonor his descendants among his clan. For I am the Lord who makes him holy. Again, we keep seeing this picture. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord who makes you holy. I am the Lord your God. And as we're studying through the Old Testament and as we're getting, gaining insight to the high priest and the role of a high priest, we have an understanding as Christians and the New Testament is that Jesus is ultimately the high priest. He fulfills all. And because of Him fulfilling all that God has required, we can now enter in into the presence of God and be at peace with God. See, this is the hope that we have in Jesus. I don't know if we're really thinking upon Jesus as much as we should because we ought to be thinking upon Jesus and all that he has established and fulfilled and all that he offers to us for no other reason but because of his love for us. Oh, that we would return that love to him through our obedience. He goes on here, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to Aaron. In all future generations, none of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, deformed, or has a broken foot or arm, or is hunchbacked or dwarfed, or has a defective eye or skin." Sores or scabs or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron who has a defect may approach the altar to present special gifts to the Lord. Since he has a defect, he may not approach the altar to offer food to his God. However... He may eat from the food offered to God, including the holy offerings and the most holy offerings. Yet because of his physical defect, he may not enter the room behind the inner curtain or approach the altar, for this would defile my holy places. I am the Lord who makes them holy. So Moses gave these instructions to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. These are God's instructions, you all. He does not want his presence. He he will not allow himself to be defiled. And if he took such careful and and gave such specific instructions then, we shouldn't take it lightly today. Defects of, of sin, what sin causes in our hearts and in our lives. We are to honor His presence. We are to to reverence and and have that reverence for Him and in His presence. Like again, sin shouldn't be mastering us. Again, it's not that you would never sin, but sin should not be mastering you. You shouldn't be living in active sin thinking you're a Christian because you're not a Christian you're actually defiling god you're, you're you're tainting you're 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 you're, you're, just, you're giving a false image of who of of his holiness and of his presence as if everything is okay he's a holy god that has never changed holy 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 is how they're worshiping him in heaven And so we have to have this understanding that just as he was serious then, he is serious now. We don't make light of who he is and his presence among us. He goes on here, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to be very careful with the sacred gifts that the Israelites set apart for me so that they do not bring shame on my holy name. I am the Lord. Give them the following instructions. In all future generations, if any of your descendants is ceremonially unclean when he approaches the sacred offerings that the people of Israel consecrate to the Lord, he must be cut off from the presence. From my presence. I am the Lord. If any of Aaron's descendants has a skin disease or any kind of discharge that makes him ceremonially unclean, he must not eat from the sacred offerings until he has been pronounced clean. He also becomes unclean by touching a corpse, or by having an emission of semen, or by touching a small animal that is unclean, or by touching someone who is ceremonially unclean for any reason. The man who is defiled in any of these ways will remain unclean until evening. He may not eat from the sacred offerings until he has bathed himself in water. When the sun goes down, he will be ceremonially clean again and may eat from the sacred offering, for this is his food. He may not eat an animal that has has died a natural death or has been torn apart by wild animals, for this would defile him. I am the Lord. The priests must follow my instructions carefully, otherwise they will be punished for their sin and will die for violating my instructions. I am the Lord who makes them holy." no one outside a priest's family may eat the sacred offerings even guests and hired workers in a priest's home are not allowed to eat them however if the priest buys a slave for himself the slave may eat from the sacred offerings and if his slaves have children they also may share his food if a priest's daughter marries someone outside the priestly family she may no longer eat the sacred offerings but if she becomes a widow or is divorced and has no children to support her, and she returns to live in her father's home, as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food again. Otherwise, no one outside the priest's family may eat the sacred offerings. Any such person who eats the sacred offerings without realizing it must pay the priest for the amount eaten, plus an additional 20%. The priest must not let the Israelites defile the sacred offering brought to the Lord. By allowing unauthorized people to eat them, this would bring guilt upon them and require them to pay compensation. I am the Lord who makes them holy. Again, you all, the standard of holiness is nothing to kind of just push aside. God is serious. Remember, he, he, his purpose is to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. They are to be set apart in every generation until he returns. Set apart. The church is to be set apart. We're to live differently. We're to act differently. We're to bear his image. We are to serve as he came to serve. We are to love as he came to love. But we must not keep doing what we've been doing is lowering the bar (laughs) in hopes that everyone can jump over it and get in. It's not the way of Christ. Christ did not come to lower the expectations of God. And if he didn't come to do it then what makes us think we we can do it? I know sin is destructive. It is killing people it is dragging people to an eternal hell and I keep encouraging us we ought to care about people's eternity so much more than the temporalness of this life yes they may reject you they may hate you they may do whatever Reality is they're not rejecting you and hating you, they're rejecting him and hating him. So don't take it personally. If I ask you all, how much time are you given praying for your unsaved loved ones? For friends, for co-workers. And you say, Oh no, I don't give that much thought, or oh, when I think about it, I do. How sad. Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. Like, there's a way in which you... That's why I keep telling you. There's a way in which you ought to be living, but if you're not being discipled, if, if, if you just, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but you're not obeying, you've never come under the submission of Christ, you're not being discipled, you're not learning how to apply things, then you're just holding a form. You're not a Christian. If sin is mastering you, you're not a Christian. You say, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> okay. But I've encouraged y'all before, find me a scripture that gives you the right to yourself and makes you still right with God. You should be desired to grow like your eyes have been opened to, to the love of God. Jesus on the cross, the payment that he paid for you, punishment that he endured for you, so that you wouldn't experience the wrath of God? Him being put in a tomb, and being raised from the dead on the third day. Remember, there's a lot of people who were talking about Jesus, but their Jesus is still in the tomb. That's their confession. Rather, they're actually saying it or not, but you can tell that that's their confession, that their Christ is still in the tomb because they keep living how they want to live. They're just doing what they want to do. It doesn't honor God. It doesn't please God. But yes, keep him in the tomb because as long as he's in the tomb, then there's no standard of God. He's dead. But start talking about a risen Savior. Start talking about one that's been resurrected. Start talking about one who has defeated sin and death. Then he has every right to raise up those standards that have God has already set out from the beginning of time. Be holy. Because I'm holy. And in and of yourself, you recognize, I can't, but he can. Because you came, God. Like you came set me free like you came to show me the way to live that will honor you oh how could we not have an understanding of how we are to obey and to live in Christ go to Mark chapter 9 1 through 29 set apart he is the Lord our God Mark chapter 9, verse 1 through 29. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I love Peter. (laughs) And I couldn't even imagine. I mean, yeah, of course they would be terrified. All of a sudden, he's as bright as anything ever. And then all of a sudden, there's Elijah and Moses there. Yeah, what an incredible sight to behold. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. And please don't miss this line. If you need something to highlight or to circle or to go back to, look at verse 7. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. He didn't say ignore him. Keep going the way you want to go. No, no, no. This is my dearly loved son. Yet again, we see God confirming who Jesus is. We saw that his baptism, and now again we see it here. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, When they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Remember last week, I told you that Jesus' ministry is going to start shifting now? He's going to keep pointing them to the cross? To the resurrection remember when he asked them who do people say that I am some say you're this some say you're that some say this some say that and then he turns. he says but who do you say that I am and that's important for us to be able to answer like who do people say Jesus is go this week start asking people that you know who do you say Jesus is listen to their answers And then ask yourself, who do I say that you are? Do I really believe in what I believe and I confess? Because if you truly are the Son of God, God Himself just spoke this is my dearly loved Son. Listen to Him. Are you listening? Are you obeying? If you're not, you're not in Christ. You're not a child of God. You're still a child of rebellion. Remember, even the, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus says, "Your father is the devil." Remember when we read the scripture where I said, "Who's your daddy?" You know, and then He tells them, "Your father is the devil." The father of lies, he's been a liar from the beginning. This is who you're yoking yourself to if you're not living for Christ. You've yoked yourself to remain enslaved to the nature that you were born into, that your father is the devil. And why would you want to remain yoked to him when the true creator of life has stepped in and revealed himself to you. Like I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way but me. That's Jesus' bold confession. There's no other way. So who do you say that he is? Because as you see him, so you live, you all. I've shared that with you all throughout the years. And if you don't see Him truly as God, then you're not going to live for Him as God. Or oh, you may talk about Him, but you're not experiencing the power of God. <clears throat> so again, they're talking, they don't have an understanding, we just read. Verse 10, so they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other, what does he mean, rising from the dead? Then they asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? And Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to give everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you the truth, Elijah has already come and they chose to abuse him just as scripture predicted. I love Jesus here. Don't miss what he did here. Instead of remember they talked amongst themselves about him rising from the dead. Instead of wanting instead of them being moved to gain to have a better insight to this understanding of Jesus and in his purpose, they brought scripture back to him about Elijah. So he says, Elijah indeed is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet, why do scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? So let's bring it back to really what we ought to be focused on, Jesus. But if you want to answer you all, he says, Elijah's already come. And Jesus, if you read through all the different commentaries and the understanding of Scripture, is Jesus is is pointing to John the Baptist. John the Baptist wasn't a reincarnation of Elijah, (laughs) but he had the anointing of Elijah to prepare the way. Remember, John the Baptist was purposed, you all, to prepare the way. It's such a beautiful testimony how God throughout the generations has purposed individuals' lives. See, your life is purposed to impact the kingdom. There is a purpose for your life. It's not for you to gain your best life here and now for yourself. No, remember, God has prepared good works for you to do. Even before he laid the foundations of the world, he thought of you and he prepared good works for you to do for his purpose, for his kingdom? Are you fulfilling them? Do you think this way? Because you ought to give thought to these things as a Christian. If not, please get discipled. Because if you're not thinking upon it, the only way you know how to think is what's back here. And guess where you're going to go back to? There. You're going to stay stuck in the same rut, in the same mess, and think that you're safe. And in reality, you're not. You're making a mockery of him. And why would you continue wanting to make a mockery of the very one in whom you're saying you love? Oh, that we would wake up. He goes on here. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how much, I'm sorry, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, I don't want us to miss this. The man came to his disciples. His disciples had already been out and about healing the sick, casting out demons, dealing with evil spirits. They've already been doing this. The man came to the disciples. And they couldn't do it. And look what Jesus says You faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. How long? He says, basically, are you going to remain faithless? Like your faith is in me and in me alone. Like you're not going to be able to accomplish anything apart from me. Oh, that they would have learned of him. And I love the fact that in the gospels, as we're seeing all of this leading up to the cross, these disciples were still confused of who Jesus was. And if you're still confused who Jesus is, you're going to live a faithless life. You're not going to be filled with faith. You're not going to be able to move in the power which God has given us. Because you don't believe. Notice how they change as soon as they receive the Holy Spirit in the upper room soon as they received the Spirit of God, they were filled with truth and understanding and insight and revelation. Because now God is in them. And from the book of Acts on, you see them move. Different men. And guess what? the same Holy Spirit (laughs) that they received, you received, if you're a Christian. Jesus himself says, I have to go away so that he will come. See, we're without excuse. I know we like to to be the disciples before the resurrection. Like, we can all grow comfortable. Oh, yeah, that sounds like me. Oh, yes, I wouldn't believe either. Oh, yes, I would. Oh, I... And we make excuses. See, they didn't have it all. in. But you better look at After Acts, what happened? Because now we're empowered with the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit then. They weren't filled with him. They had Jesus among them, with them, teaching them, showing them the way to go, how to live, how to have authority over sickness and disease in his name. But here we find them faithless. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into violent convulsion, convulsions. And he fell to the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And then we see here that the father, though yet he came, he still didn't believe. Listen to what he said there. It shows his lack of faith. If you can. What do you mean, if I can Jesus asked? Anything is possible, look at this, if a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What a beautiful prayer. Help me to overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers were growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house of his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. By prayer. See, listen, you, you should be growing in spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting. Like you are a spiritual person now. You're not of the natural any longer. You must grow as one who is spiritual. Through prayer and fasting. Maybe there's things in your own life. Maybe you're praying for others and you're, and you're not seeing a, a breakthrough. Continue to seek them. Continue to pray. Trust God. And I, I love the lesson learned here. We're just, if we're just come, where does the lack of faith come from? Through a prayerless life. You want to fuel the fire of faith and belief? Pray. And pray diligently. Let's go to Psalm chapter Psalm 43 five verses there, we're coming to an end. Psalm 43. Oh, I pray that we are encouraged today. And here again we find the psalmist longing for the presence of God reminding himself of the presence of God. And as I've been encouraging us, I'm telling you, if, you, if you're finding yourself in a season of, of discouragement or just a season of dryness, look up and open the book of Psalms. Hmm. Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. Love this, For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Oh, what a prayer to pray. Huh. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my heart, O God, my God. Again, the altar. Whenever you hear the word the altar throughout the Old Testament, that's that's an insight and understanding. That's the presence of God. When you're oppressed, when you're surrounded by the enemy or your enemies, (laughs) When you're enduring such a hard time, difficulty, uncertainty, discouragement, depression. Look at that beautiful prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. That they would lead me into your presence is what he's asking here. The source of my joy. That's beautiful for that to become our truth. Cuz people see what we're going through. But if they see that we're enduring not because of of anything but because of God. Like they're going to see what we're enduring in life, but they should see that we are enduring it with our God. And that's how I love how he says it there, "Oh God, my God." And then he reminds himself, "Why am I discouraged?" Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. You see how you can get distracted and you get so caught up in life. I love the fact he says, I will praise him again because I I haven't been praising him. I haven't been in his presence. I I haven't reflected on who God is. Oh, but now that I am remembering what it's like to be in your presence and the joy that I find there, oh God, how can I remain discouraged? How can my heart remain so sad? For I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And the other picture I really love to take away from this is you see how he knows who his God is? You see, he's not wrestling with the fact that, oh God, I can't come before you. Oh God, you're you're going to stiff-arm me and keep me out from you. No, he recognized if I come with a a humble attitude, with the right knowledge of who God is, I can trust the fact that God will be for me. That God is for me and he's not against me. That I can enter into his presence and that he alone was satisfied. Like God doesn't give us, you know, these these lists, if you will. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. Because again, when we make His commandments the so burdensome, then that's not God. Because that's not what God does. To live a holy life, to live a life that honors God, is not burdensome. It is freeing, <laughs> because you're no longer enslaved to the sin in your life. You're no longer oppressed by the enemy. And you're no longer entangled with the world. You're free to live afresh and anew. And to come into his presence with boldness. Knowing that you're accepted. Not because of anything of yourself. But all because of Jesus. I love the fact that he he knows his God. And that in that knowledge of God. He turns to God. And knows that God will accept him. And God will fulfill God's purpose For his life. Go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18. Proverbs 10, verse 18. Your nugget of wisdom for the weak. Hiding hatred makes you a liar, slandering others makes you a fool. Hiding hatred makes you a liar slandering others makes you a fool. A fool. One who believes there is no God. To hide hatred in your heart, just to wear a mask, just to pretend around people. Especially in a Christian community. Where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but really in your heart you despise the individual. You hate the individual. Because your heart is not right towards them. What a horrible way to live. And look what the Word of God says there. Makes you a liar. Makes you a liar. We're not to be people who live hidden lives. We're not to be hiding behind our mask. No, we're, we're to live transparent lives. If you got an issue with someone, especially in the in the church, in, the, in a church community, you're to go get that restored. You're to go deal with it. It's not just to be something that you just pretend. Because when you really despise or hate someone, you're going to slander them. And you ought not to be speaking evil of anyone. Because it only then makes you look like a fool. And so, oh, that we would hear the word of the Lord today, you all. That there is a way in which we are called to live and it is a way that can be lived and obtained only through Christ and I hope that we hear that today because so I think in our generation and in, in the previous generations even the generations to come we've set the Christian life so far out that it's unattainable well I wish one day I would get there oh well God really didn't expect that and we make all these weird excuses But the reality is, is no, the Christian life is obtainable because it's only through Christ. And Christ has came. He has done all that he needs to do to conquer sin and death. He's risen from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the place of power and authority. He is the risen Savior, you all. And this life can be lived through Christ because that's our position. And if we don't see it that way then we're not saved we're not Christians we're just the people who hold a form of religion we do a lot of talking but we're not experiencing the power of God and oh how oh how I pray that that wouldn't be how we are marked and defined that we would be a people that would seek him regularly that we would be discipled in his teachings, that we would walk in the fullness of his power because God is in us and that we would accomplish the good works that he's called us to do and that we would continue to advance his kingdom looking up for his return. Amen. Amen. I'll close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer.